Well, we are excited to have Rick Malik to come and bring God's word to us today and preach the scriptures to us, brother. God bless you. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, good morning. I was a little worried, but they moved the Steelers game. You know, I'll know that I'm a Steelers fan. They moved it to Mars, so now I don't have to rush my sermon, so. Just kidding. All right, well, it's good to be up here in the pulpit again, sharing God's word this morning. Title of my message is, I am doing a new thing. And our text this morning comes from uh, Prophet Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 14 through 21. And you can look up that in your Bible, or it's going to be up on the screen. I ask you to follow along with me. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself, that they might declare my praise. May God add his blessing to his holy word. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this message that you have given me. I pray now you will take it and open up our hearts and our eyes and ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Help us to see this morning, Lord, that maybe you're doing a new thing in our lives and we need to perceive it, understand it. I pray you take these words now and they will not return void or empty, but accomplish all that you want them to accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. God is always working or doing a new thing among his people. We have a new member of the church. We have a new baptism in Christ. You know, we just started 2024, a new year, and many of us probably have New Year's resolutions. I know I've, I've been a member of the gym for a while, and it seems like the first three weeks of January, the gym is packed. Because there are a lot of people said, I'm going to do a new thing this year. I'm going to get in shape. All of us will be experiencing new things in 2024. I know in my household, we have uh, one daughter graduating college, Madison, and she'll be heading into the workforce, probably leaving, moving away from here. I have another daughter Reagan, it'll be graduating high school and going off to college somewhere. There's going to be a new thing in our house. You know, my wife and I are going to be empty nesters. 
I don't know how happy she is about that, but (laughs) all of us will be experiencing new things this year. We're going to elect a president. Uh, Hopefully, we will have, the Lord willing, a new pastor here at this church. So new things come into our lives, both planned and unplanned. There are things that happen new to us that we just don't see or perceive, like the text said today. This morning, I want you and I to think about what does God want to do new in your life and in my life? So I pose the question, will you perceive it? Will you understand it? Be aware of it. Before we dive into the text this morning, let me give you a little background. Prophet Isaiah is writing to those in the future who will be held one day captive in Babylon. This chapter is similar to the previous chapter in Isaiah, looking at the release of the Jews out of captivity. But even looking beyond that, as the prophet Isaiah does, to the day of redemption, the day when Christ will come and appear You know, we just finished Christmas, and one of the great prophecies from Isaiah comes in chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I almost want to sing that out, right? Isaiah, if you read Isaiah, and I encourage you to read Isaiah if you haven't, it's a great uh, book, one of the major prophets. He uses the words, thus says the Lord, many times. And we see it three times in this particular chapter, verses 1, verses 14, and 16. So when it says, thus says the Lord, I'm, I'm going to pay attention. Now, as again, background in verse 1 we find out that Israel, who are God's chosen people, were created by God, redeemed by God, called by God, and they are his. And the beautiful language says it all. It says, I have called you by name and you are mine. Ever think about that? You are his. Our Heavenly Father, if he's called you in Christ, you are his, his child. Peter says the same thing in, the, in his epistle where he says, You are a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are his. Now in verse 2, it says that God will go with them and be with them through difficult times as they will pass through waters or go through the fire. And you know that beautiful promise still remains in effect for us, his church, his people, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Same promise. In verse 3, he tells the nation of Israel who he is. He says, I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Notice the personal pronouns. And you know, Jesus is our Savior. Verse 4, he tells them that they are precious in his eyes and he loves them. In verses 5 and 6, he talks about how he will gather his scattered sons and daughters from the east and the west, the north and the south. Speaking of really of those that have in captivity. In verses 10 through 13, he reminds them that they are his chosen, 
his chosen, and that he is their Lord and Savior. You know, the Apostle Paul wasn't the only Calvinist. You know, Isaiah was one too. He believed in God's election. And that's where we pick up today in verse 14. Verse 14 starts with, thus says the Lord. And he reiterates to them again who he is. He says, I am your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the Creator of Israel, your King. And then he says, for your sake, I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. Well, what does he mean? What does he mean by that? Well, Isaiah is prophesying or predicting 150 years ahead of time of what is going to happen to the Jews in Babylon, what we know as the Babylonian captivity. There is a summation of the Babylonian captivity in 2 Chronicles 36. Let me read it for you. You're going to get a little Old Testament history lesson today. He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men, talking about Israel and Judah, and with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young men or virgin, man or aged. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his princes. All these he brought to Babylon and they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed its, all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. I mean, you all familiar with the book of Daniel, right? So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those were four of of the many that were taken to uh, Babylon from Jerusalem. So Isaiah's prophecy that we read today is an assurance to those Jews in the future that he will send them a deliverer and he will bring down the pride of the Chaldeans and demolish their city. That is, he's going to use the Persians and Medes under the command of Cyrus. The prophecy about Cyrus, King Cyrus of Persia, would one day make it possible for the Jews to return home from exile in Babylon, as we see in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. If you read Ezra and Nehemiah, right? And Nehemiah went back to build the walls. And Ezra was the priest. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 45 about Cyrus. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. So this prophecy is written to the Babylonian captivity, captives 150 years later who will be wondering if they will ever get to return back to their beloved city of Jerusalem and back to their country. Now we know, again, another history, they will be there for 70 years, right? We know that Why? Because Jeremiah prophesied about it. He said in Jeremiah 29, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and hope. I know a lot of you know that verse, probably have it on your refrigerator. We love that verse. It gives us hope and a future. He has plans. We love to quote that. All right, let's get back now to our text, verse 16, 17. He reminds them first what he did for them in Egypt by making a way through the sea for the Israelites to pass 
a path in the mighty waters. And how he destroyed Pharaoh's army who was pursuing them. Notice the poetry. By the way, Isaiah, like some of the other prophets in the Psalms, you that are going through the Psalms class with me, the Bible has a lot of poetry in it. You know, we like to read prose, you know, where it gives the explanation of everything. But sometimes we got to look at what's the beauty of the poetry saying. Well, he says there, they lie down, they cannot rise. That's parallelism. Remember, you in my class, parallelism. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. But in verse 18, God pivots and says something interesting. He says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Take a break here, son. But wait a minute, I thought he told them in the two previous verses what he did for them in Egypt. Aren't we to remember the things God has done for us in the past? Yes, but to a point. We are to remember what God did for us in the past to give us encouragement to live in the present and to look forward to the future, but we are not to live in the past, thinking that what God has done in the past is the only way he will do it in the future. Let me repeat that. We are not to live in the past, thinking that what God has done in the past is the only way he will do it in the future. You know, they, he's telling them, don't be looking for a deliverer like Moses. I'm going to use a pagan named Cyrus to deliver you. In other words, we are not to get stuck in the past, living in the good old days. We need to be looking for God to do new things in his church and in our lives. We should not limit our expectations of what God can do in the future to our experience of what God has done for us. In the past, he promises to do greater things for them than he had done in the days of old. And they will be different. Now, in verse 19, which is the main verse I want to focus on, God is very clear. I am doing a new thing. I will make a way in the wilderness. I will provide rivers in the desert. Again, he's using poetry right there. The wild beasts will honor me, jackals and ostriches. Well, what does that mean? Again, he's you in poetry to describe how he will provide the way of captivity, out of captivity when they don't see it. Jackals and ostriches in the Old Testament have negative connotations. For example, let me read Micah 1.8. Because of this, I must lament and well, I must go barefoot and naked. I must lament like the jackals. And a mourning like the ostriches. So lament and mourning are tied with those animals. Or how about Job? You all know what Job went through, right? Difficult times. Job describes himself. I have become a brother to jackals and a companion of ostriches. You cannot picture a more radical reversal than animals who symbolize mourning and howling in the most devastated of circumstances now glorifying And praising God with great joy for his blessings. He's painting a picture for us. He is telling his people who are in Babylon under captivity to be on the alert for a new deliverance. And don't expect it to be the same as the one was in Egypt. This was a promise to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and all those that were captive. Isn't that a beautiful promise? 
Imagine being an Israelite family, having been in Babylon 40, 50 years, you know, getting set up. One night you open up the book of Isaiah and you read this. It would give you hope, right? Give water or drink, he said, to my chosen people in the wilderness, in the desert. The idea of God providing drink to his people is seen in the Old and New Testaments alike. It reminds me of Jesus standing up and crying out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But will they perceive it? Will they recognize it? Will they be looking forward in faith to deliverance? Or will they be bogged down in life in Babylon, only looking to the past and miss it? Friends, are you weary this morning or in a dry spot in your spiritual life, living off your old experiences? Well, look to Jesus who gives fresh and living water every day. And why is God going to do all this? Well, for what purpose does God do this for his chosen people? Well, it says he does it because that they might declare his praise. It is all for the praise and the glory of God. God continues to do new things in us and in church for his glory, for his praise. Peter, again, repeating, says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies or the praises of him who called you. We all know the Westminster uh, uh, Catechism, first question, what is the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. When we participate in God's new things, it glorifies him, and it brings joy to us. All right, so let me pull out a few practical things from this for us, some application that we can get out of this. Number one, recognize that you are special, all right? You are part of God's chosen family. Verse 20 said that, I give drink to my chosen people, the people who I have formed for myself. As the prophet has said, he created us, he loved us, he redeemed us with his precious blood, he called us by name. You know, we must always remind ourselves of our salvation. Maybe you don't think about that much. Let that be a new thing this year in your life, to daily remind yourself and give thanks for your salvation and my salvation. This chapter is filled with verses that will encourage you about how much God loves you and God loves me. Number two, don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. Verse 17, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. You know, if we continue to look behind us, we cannot see what? What's in front of us. Many of us, it's common, we can get stuck in the past. The children of Israel had experienced many spiritual blessings throughout their history from the deliverance from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, the building of the temple. Yet their recollection of those past events only did nothing to deliver them from their present situation. The temple was destroyed, Jerusalem in shambles, and they were in captivity. They needed something different, something new to get them out of that predicament. Don't let the past hamstring you. You know, we must be careful of living in the good old days. For you, you know, the older you go back to a high school reunion, right? And 
And you remember the uh, star quarterback or the best-looking cheerleader, and they're no longer the star quarterback or the best-looking cheerleader. And maybe you've gone on and done things in their life, and they have, and they're just still living at home. And, and all they want to talk about what? Is that great catch they made in the football game back then or living in the past because they have nothing to look forward to in the future. But we as Christians do. Stop looking behind. Don't expect your past spiritual experiences to sustain you. That's why we encourage you to go to church. I encourage my kids, you need to, when they go off to college, go to church. You need to be encouraged each week to hear the word of God. We need to be nourished. Don't allow past failures to paralyze you. Those Israelites could have wallowed in their misery because of the sin that put them there and not move forward in repentance and following the voice of God. But you know, God always offers forgiveness and hope to his children. Later on in chapter 43, verse 25, it says, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You know, there may be some here this morning that are impacted from moving forward in your life, whether it's spiritually, vocationally, or relationally, because of your struggles with sin and guilt, or you may be holding pain of the past, you know, unforgiveness towards a loved one who hurt you, might be bitterness uh, because you didn't get that promotion. It doesn't have to be that way, which leads to my third point. Start looking ahead for a new thing. Away in the wilderness, a river in the desert. Look for and anticipate God to do new things in your life and in your church. God is always doing new things in our church and around the world. We tend to be very myopic and look at our small little space and say, get discouraged and like God's not doing anything. But he is. Something new is happening in the kingdom every day. People are getting saved around the world. The gospel is advancing. Jesus is all about the new life, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anything, one is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. He may be asking you this morning to do something new in ministry that you've never done before. You know, we have great needs in this church, working with uh, children, uh, youth. Uh, Have you ever thought about working in the jail ministry? There are opportunities around us all the time to be doing ministry. And it's new, and it may not be something you feel comfortable with, but it's something I encourage you to do. I remember John, some of your memories, if you remember church, John Lennon, he was uh, in Good News Jail Ministry, and he told me, Rick, I'd like you to come up and work in the jail, you know, and minister and witness to uh, prisoners. And I was like, I don't want to go to no jail. <laughs> in jail, you ever... And I, to be honest, the first time I went up there, and first couple of times, it was a little intimidating. You know, they have to let you go through the gate, and, and, uh, and then they bring a prisoner to you, and you're in a room, and... But, you know, it ended up, I ended up doing it for like five, six years of very rewarding. One man came to Christ, I remember uh, witnessing to him. But the point was, is that I did not want to do it because it was new and I didn't really understand it. But God said to do it and I took a step. And sometimes we just need to take that 
step. We need to expect the unexpected. That is the whole idea about a, a way in the wilderness or rivers in the desert. There are rivers in the desert. You ever been in a wilderness? There, there's not like, you know, nice trails to follow. You have to make your way. And that's what he's saying. Point. We need to expect the unexpected. We need to expect God sometimes to work in the unexpected ways. You know, a lot of us that are older, the, the days of the Billy Graham Crusades are over. Right? That was a period. And God used that period of time. The great, first great awakening. Those are different days. And some of us old fuddy-duddies sometimes say, well, it can't be done that way anymore. It's got to be, this is the only way the gospel can go forth. Well, God is doing new ways. We need to be open to him. In other words, he was telling him, don't expect Moses to deliver you. Of all people, I'm going to use a pagan. I'm going to use King Cyrus. So I ask you this morning, what is God going to do through you in 2024? What is God going to do new in our church? And how do I fit in that? You know, we're getting a new pastor, right? Coming soon, shortly. And quicker than we probably thought. And there's going to be changes. Why is there going to be changes? He's new. He's a new leader. When Joe and Louise came, there were new things done, right? They were different than the old pastor. And we're going to have to ask ourselves, are we going to get behind him? Are we going to say, oh, it can't be done like that anymore? He's going to have new strengths, new visions of what ministry is all about. And we as a church are going to have to adapt. I used to be in special ops and, you know, uh, my wing commander, he had a motto. It says, adapt or perish. We won't have to perish, but sometimes we need to adapt, adapt to the changes, new things, okay? Because God is going to build his church no matter what, right? Leaders come and go. They come and go. The church just continues to go on. And then God continues to use new people with new ideas, with new ministry gifts, God will do that until the day that he returns. I end with this, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, verse 21, chapter 21, verse 5. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write, for these words are faithful and true. Christ is in making people new, the world new, and we need to be part of that. And I ask you this morning to ponder on, will you be aware of it? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful promise that you are continuing to make the world new, make us new in Jesus Christ, and that, Lord, you continue to build your church. And I pray, Father, you would work on our hearts this morning to say, where can we make a difference. Where can we, through the power of your Holy Spirit, um, make changes, Lord, in the world around us? I pray that these words, Lord, would again, would not return void or empty, but Lord, that they would uh, pierce our heart, penetrate our minds. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.